You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Open your Bibles tonight, please, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. This text, and we talked about the importance of following through on a text uh, this morning, is going to be a text that normally is utilized to emphasize the message of the cross, and rightly so. Galatians is that text in the Bible where the argument over what saves and what sanctifies is preeminent. But in the course of Paul's discussion, in the course of Paul's writing, he lays out some truths about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that I want to emphasize. So let's take a look and read together Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Galatians 3 1 through 5. The text says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Paul had been teaching them the truth. Paul had proclaimed to them the truth of how to live for God. And it was this, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you, they could almost see the Savior on the cross, but above and beyond that, the way that Paul taught them, they knew the benefits of Calvary. They could see them. And yet someone had come along and robbed them, bewitched them of the truth they know. So Paul would ask the first question, who has bewitched you? Then he goes to the second of five questions in verse 2, this only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And the reception of the Holy Spirit here is speaking of salvation because the moment the believing sinner asks Jesus into their heart, the Holy Spirit does a recreative, regenerative work and enters, and he's asking them, hey, how'd you get saved? Did you get saved because of what you did, or did you get saved because of what you heard? Number three, verse three, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Do you think that what God starts, he expects you to finish? Do you think that you can accomplish the process of sanctification all on your own? Do you think that it's now a process of law and rules and routines? Do you think you can complete through efforts of the flesh what only the Spirit can? Verse 4, fourth question, have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? When you choose to be a Christian, you are going to lose some things. Christianity will cost you something. Christianity will cause you to maybe uh, separate from some people that you've always been friends with. You might have to move on from relationships or jobs, and it may cost you something. And in this environment, in their time frame, in their lifetime, it was even more devastating for someone to accept Christ than it is now. In verse 5, Notice he said, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and the idea of ministering is he that supplies to you the Spirit 
and works miracles among you. So this supply of the Spirit is all about the supernatural power of God. It's about the strength of God for ministry. It's about the power of God exhibited through the life of the born-again believer. And we believe, and we'll talk about it, the Spirit-filled believer. But look at what he says. He asks the question, He that ministereth or supplies to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? What's he saying? Is he doing it because you fast? Because you pray? Because you do everything right? Because your holiness is so outstanding, God just can't wait to use you. Or, he asks this question, is it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul addresses both the ministries of the Holy Spirit in this passage, and that's what I want to minister to you, because there are two experiences that introduce believers to the ministries of the Holy Spirit. And we want to talk about that tonight, the ministries of the Holy Spirit, and encourage you to encounter not just one of the experiences, but all of the experiences. And then go beyond the initial experience and learn to apply and operate in that which God has offered to you. And you'll find that You can't change yourself by faith and you can't work for the Lord. I'm sorry, you can't change yourself by works. You got to change yourself by faith and you can't work for the Lord by works. You got to work through and with the Lord by faith. The ministries of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have to minister your word. And Lord, as we have sought you this afternoon, we again ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your people. The Holy Spirit who can make the unclean pure, who can change the heart, the attitude, the mind of the believer. The Holy Spirit who can work sign, miracle, and wonder through the people of God who learn what to do and how to do it. And Father, we're asking that you'd help us tonight in Jesus' precious name. And we give you all the praise for it. And everyone said amen Amen. and amen. You may be seated. The two ministries of the Holy Spirit, and I, I say that in trembling and fear because honestly, listen, everything in the life of the believer is contingent upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the lifeblood of the church. He is the life giver of the church. And he enters into our experience the moment that we say yes to Jesus. The first experience that we have as a believer, if you will, is salvation. It is the moment in time when you accept Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. There is a second subsequent work that we as Pentecostals define as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And over the years, there's been much confusion as to what that particular work, that particular experience was supposed to do. 
For a long time, the Pentecostal world equated the baptism with the Holy Spirit with sanctification, with the ability to defeat sin. We told each other that if you will, in fact, get baptized with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, you won't have any more sin problem. And if you do have sin in your life, then you can just go off into a corner and pray in tongues for a while uh, or get yourself in a good worship experience or have the pastor lay hands on you, uh, have somebody that's speaking in tongues lay hands on you, and it'll sin will just be a thing of the past. I got news for you. The only time that you're going to be totally free from the presence of sin is when the trump sounds and this corruption puts on incorruption. Until then, you and I are going to have to learn to, uh, to rise above the dominion of sin in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for power for service. It's to initiate the signs and miracles and wonders in your life that actually are performed by you in the power of God. God supplies you with supernatural power to share your faith. It doesn't matter if you're a student in school or if you're a mom or you're a dad or you're a preacher. You need the power of the Holy Spirit because the power of the Holy Spirit for service will take the words that you speak regarding the gospel and create a convicting power and a draw to that person that listens to you, and it doesn't matter who you are, or it only matters that the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit is ongoing. I pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit when I teach and preach, because I know that I might be able to say words, but words alone can't do the trick. What I need is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that is able to take the truth that is spoken and push it into the heart and mind. Break down the walls and the dividers of those that had separated themselves from the gospel and somehow eke into that human heart through the truth of the gospel and cause the drawing power of God to come into their heart and into their life. And before they know it, at the altar call, they're running down the aisle saying, I want to accept Christ. That doesn't happen because we're good speakers. That doesn't happen because we say everything right or the service was handled exactly right. That happens by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the power for service. And it's, uh, we have to be careful even then when we start uh, talking exclusively one thing or another because we're just, there's just one Holy Spirit and there's just one person, you and, and I. And anything that aids your relationship with somebody else is good. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for service, and that's just for teaching purposes and accurate understanding of events. But salvation is for regeneration and sanctification. You need to understand that when you're born again, the power of the Holy Spirit immediately enters into your life, that you are immediately sanctified, set apart for God. It's not a separate event. I'm sorry. It's not 
distinct and a second work of grace. In Scripture, there's no such thing as a second work of grace. You won't find it taught by any of the apostles. In fact, Apostle Paul said that when you're saved, you are sanctified, set apart for God. You are justified. You are cleansed immediately. Immediately you are set apart for God. Uh, The new creation man happens at salvation. Ladies, you too. The new creation person happens at salvation. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, enters into the believing sinner who has just accepted Christ and does a recreative work. He literally recreates the heart. The prophecies of Ezekiel 36 and the promises of Titus 3 all tell us that God regenerates us. He gives us a brand new heart. The heart is made up of the soul and the spirit. The soul is the part of man that feels. The spirit is is the intellect. It's the part of man that knows. And when you get born again, the Holy Spirit recreates your heart and gives you new desires. All of a sudden, you can't wait to get to church. Before you couldn't wait until church was over if you went at all. Before you couldn't stand the Word of God. Now you can't get enough of it. Why? Because you've been recreated. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. God has immersed you into the person of His Son. You're in the new covenant community. You've been united with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. And you've been raised up to live in Him with a brand new source of power that immediately begins to change who you are, what you think, and how. That's why I say you can't be born again and not change. It don't work. Can't happen. Won't be the case. You'll start thinking one way and the Holy Ghost in you will immediately say, uh-uh, don't go there, uh-uh, don't do that. And you won't have a rule book. You won't have to have pastor tell you so much what is right and wrong. It's internal. It's internalized in the new creation. You're all of a sudden being led by a new spirit that lives within you and your newly created spirit is responding to the information from the Holy Spirit who now lives lives in you. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit. He's talking to you that you're the child of God. That's why now when you come to church, you always wondered why anybody would cry or anybody would raise their hands and praise the Lord. But all of a sudden, you know he's your Lord. You know he's your Savior. You know your sins are forgiven. And when the songs start being sung, amazing grace makes you cry. It makes you weep. It makes you shout. Because you're born again. You're born again. You're born of the Spirit. And you didn't work for it. See, this experience you can't labor for. You didn't work for it. For by grace are you saved by faith. You exhibited faith in Christ and what he has done. And the supernatural power, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, was released from heaven 
And he did the work that Jesus designed, that Jesus, listen, died to provide. The reason the Holy Spirit can now regenerate, now recreate, now dwell inside of us is that Jesus Christ paid the sin price and the Father now looks at us as though we had never sinned and the Holy Spirit can take up residence within us because the blood of Christ has cleansed the temple. Hallelujah! If that doesn't make you shout, you need to get a new shouter. Because the power of God is something that is relevant to the salvation experience. But listen, this salvation experience happens as a result of your faith. The Holy Spirit, first of all, does anything in you as a result of your faith. And your faith is in Christ and what He did for you. You don't know much. But all of a sudden, because the preacher was preaching and the Holy Ghost was moving, you realize that you're a sinner. You realize that you're separated from God. Not by mama's sin, not by grandmama's sin, not by your, your husband's sin, but by your sin. And you said, oh, I'm sinning. You feel like you're hanging over hell on a shaky stick, and you're saying, Jesus, I need a Savior. Why? Because the power of the Holy Ghost has revealed the first revelation you have ever gotten from God, and that is that you're a sinner. But at the same time, he reveals that Christ is the Savior. And something in you goes, and you reached out by faith wherever you happen to be. Whatever you were doing, some of you in a church house, some of you driving down the road, me on an, at the end of a three-day drunk and a binge on cocaine and alcohol, two o'clock in the morning, picked up the Bible, started reading it, and God the Holy Ghost just robed me the riot act and showed me I was a sinner. And I looked up into the face of God and said, if you'll have me. And you know what he did? What he always does. He doesn't turn any of us away. But the experience of salvation is experienced by, listen, faith. Not by what we do. Not by what we accomplish. Not by our good works outweighing our bad works. I got news for you. You're a whole lot worse than you think even now. (laughs) Thanks, Brother Larson. Well, I could interview your husband or your wife and they'd tell me. With a little prompting, of course, but maybe even with a little uh, uh, bribe. But uh, the whole process of it is that God has aligned humanity with himself through what Jesus did at Calvary. And when I place my faith in what Jesus did at Calvary, then this whole miracle of Christianity begins. It's supernatural. It's not something to be scared about. It's the power of God supernaturally invading into our lives and getting ready to change. And he begins the change immediately. In the life of our, uh, the believers in our text, in the Galatian text, Paul on his first missionary journey travels through Asia Minor and he preaches the gospel to a variety of cities and they hear it and they accept it by faith. But right after he's done preaching and teaching a group of men 
come along that we today call Judaizers. They're people that were trying to convince the new converts, well, uh, you're not really saved unless you keep the law. You got to be circumcised to keep the law. And women, you had to be connected to a man that was circumcised in order to be saved, or you couldn't be saved either. He had to be your husband or your father or your brother or whatever the case was, as it was in Israel. Circumcision, they said, was required. And keeping the law was required because you can't really be saved until, you know, Jesus is the Savior, but he, you know, you still got to keep the Mosaic law. Or, oh, you can be saved by faith. But now that you're saved by faith, you have to stop living by faith and start operating by works. And Paul said, who has bewitched you? That's not what he taught. He didn't taught that it took the Mosaic law or circumcision or keeping of the Sabbath to be saved. He said, you place your faith in Jesus and you're saved. And he, listen, he didn't teach, listen, he didn't teach that you had to work to be changed. The old thing, the old things the preacher used to say was, well, God did his part. Now you got to do your part. Your part is never to do God's part. And you can't be changed by yourself. You can't be changed by your work. You can't be changed by your religion. You can't be changed by your rituals. You can't be changed by your discipline. And I believe in disciplines. I believe in, in, in habitual reading of the Word and church attendance and giving. and all. The, but none of those things will sanctify me. None of those things will barter the work of God and cause Him to come into my heart and come into my life and change me from what I am to what I need to become. Only one thing changes me from who I am to what I need to become, and that's the power of the Holy Ghost. And He's not for sale. He's not for sale. You can't barter with your good works and say, Holy Ghost, I need to overcome envy. Holy Ghost, I need to overcome lust. Holy Ghost, I need to overcome lying. Holy Ghost, I need to, and I'm going to do this, and because I do this, you do that. Doesn't work. Won't go. Doesn't fly. Men have tried it forever. We've preached it in the church, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is you humble yourself like you did when you got saved. You look to Christ and say, thank God that what you did at Calvary caused the Holy Spirit to live in me. And now he's able to do in me what I can't do for myself. He's able to do the performing work. He's able to operate. He's able to complete the circumcision that he began of my heart, and he's able to take out my addiction. He's able to take out lust. He's able to take out gossip. He's able to take out preeminence of self. He's able to take that out to where I can turn around tomorrow or whenever the work gets done, and all of a sudden, I'm no longer that. I'm Listen, when I got saved, he took the desire for alcohol out of me. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I've been set free by the power of God. And when God saves us, we're saved. When God heals us, we're healed. When God delivers us, we're delivered. When God protects us, we're protected. But He doesn't work based on our work. He asks us to walk by faith. 
And our faith has to have a specific centerpiece. It has to be Christ. Now get it. This isn't all about us. It's about Him. And what Christ did for me at Calvary was pay the debt of sin that I owed. He, by bringing me into Himself and causing God to see me as if I was in Christ when He crucified, He crucified me. And when He crucified me in Christ, He broke the power of indwelling sin. He didn't remove everything. He broke the power of indwelling sin. I don't have to break what Christ has already broken. I don't have to redo what Christ has already done. It's my responsibility to operate in this essential by faith. Lord, I can't change. You fill in the blank. If you're not sure what needs to be changed, ask somebody who really knows you. And they'll tell you, well, honey, you might want to think about. Every now and then, my, I'll look at my wife disgusted with myself, and I'll say, man, I just need to get saved again. She says, I know. But we can't be changed by religion. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was made available because of what Christ did for us at Calvary is the only source of life-changing power you will ever need, but you don't have Him operating in you automatically the entire portion of your Christian experience. You know, when you're young, God carries us, and He just does things for us. Things we might not understand. But as you grow older in the things of God, you need to grow up and learn how to walk by faith and learn what that means. There's going to be things in your life that it's going to take a real fight of faith to see happen what needs to be changed about us. And God will take you through circumstances. He'll he'll confront you through circumstances that will demand that you surrender faith in self and exhibit faith in Him and what He has provided for us on Calvary. When we talk about faith in the cross, we're talking about what Jesus did for me at Calvary. It's what He did. It's what He accomplished that allows the ministry of the Holy Spirit in me. You get it. And so when I go back to the process, I'm not looking to the law or rules or routines to change me. My routine of Bible reading and my routine of prayer is important, but it doesn't in and of itself change me. My faith is not in that. My Bible reading, my prayer, my church attendance, my pastor's preaching and teaching should all point me to have my faith exclusively in Jesus and what he did for me. And when the Holy Ghost, who is God, sees me glorifying Christ by placing my faith in him and not in me, he He does in me what I can't do for myself. Are you seeing it? So salvation is the initial experience that we have, and it's experienced by faith, 
But then the ongoing procedure of being conformed into the image of Christ has to be continually a walk of faith. It doesn't switch over to the walk of works. It's a walk of faith from the beginning to end. Colossians 2 and 6. As you have received Christ Jesus in the same way that you received him, so walk ye in him. We walk by faith and not by sight. So our faith in Him doesn't lessen. We don't become independent of that. We become more dependent. We become ever-reliant. We grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? You learn how to receive more of it. Which means less trust in you and more trust in Christ. Less trust in you and more trust in what Christ can supply for us as a result of what he did. His ministry, his work, is what released the power of the Holy Spirit into the world. There is also a second subsequent work, a separate work that the Holy Spirit has done. We as classic Pentecostals refer to it as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, we, I just want you to know you should be aware that a lot of people don't call it the same thing. They don't? No. Not everybody thinks like you. In fact, down through the years, the baptism with the Holy Spirit was first used by uh, Charles Wesley in his movement, and they called, they were teaching and preaching that there was an event that totally sanctified a person after salvation. And they call that the baptism with the Holy Spirit in the 1700s. And John Fletcher, who was the theologian of the Wesleyan movement, said that a person could get saved, then baptized with the Holy Spirit, which was to totally sanctify you, And that thought process was prevalent in the minds of the folk that experienced Azusa Street. Seymour and Parham both taught that a person couldn't be, and they called it baptized with fire, a person couldn't be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues until they'd been saved, sanctified, and thirdly, Baptized with fire. That was their thinking. That's how it came at Azusa Street. The people of God were saying, Oh, well, you need to get saved, but you can't be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it was Frank Parham who who began to teach that the initial physical evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit was in fact speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. So his teaching and Seymour's teaching was you had to be saved, then you had to be sanctified. You had to be sanctified before you could get filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is from the Wesleyan movement, from the Pentecostal holiness movement, from the 1700s, and they all taught that at Azusa Street. They all proclaimed that until they got a Baptist baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
Come on, Baptist. They got a baptized, they got a person baptized with the Holy Ghost by the name of William Durham. And William Durham was a Baptist from Chicago. He was a Reformed preacher from Chicago. And he went down in 1906 to Azusa Street and got baptized with the Holy Ghost. Messed him up big time. So his whole idea of secessionism, the idea that the Holy Ghost doesn't do those things anymore, got changed. Let me tell you something. Wherever there's a hungry heart, God will do something in you if you're hungry. Wherever there's a despite what you think, even despite what you do, if you've got a hungry heart and you start saying, God, I don't understand it all, but I want it, God will give it to you. He's not trying to withdraw. He's looking for somebody with faith. I said he's just looking for somebody with faith. You want to qualify for the supernatural power of God? Look for, look for it by faith. God, I don't deserve it, but I want it. I believe it's for me today. I'll take it. If it's active, I want it. If Jesus gives it, I'll have it. If, whatever, if you'll operate by faith, you're going to get a whole lot more than if you operate in doubt and unbelief. And men that believe God would, went down to Azusa Street like William Durham from Chicago, got baptized with the Holy Ghost with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues and went back to Chicago and was instrumental in spreading the Pentecostal message throughout the Reformed community and the Calvinist churches and the Baptist churches. His ministry literally reached into uh, the, the heart of Canada and established the Pentecostal movement in the north. And the, and, but he's a Baptist. And Baptist theology was that you were saved and sanctified all at the same time. Okay, I didn't mean to give you history, but I just, you, I'm just telling you. This is our head. And so William Durham in 1909 travels back down to Azusa Street. Well, after three years, the revival in Azusa Street had waned. It had the glory had stopped falling, the miracles had stopped happening, and, and Seymour, who was in charge of the Azusa Street Mission, was out traveling. He left his wife in charge of the services there. And William Durham came down and he started to preach that you don't have to be saved then sanctified, then filled, he started to preach that you were saved and sanctified by faith in the finished work of Christ. And he began to preach it, and people began to listen, and the glory of God began to fall all over again, and the Spirit of God began to move again at Azusa Street, but he wasn't preaching saved, sanctified, filled. He was preaching you're saved and sanctified at the moment of salvation, and then you get filled secondly, and the infilling of the power of God for that second infilling was a power for service. It wasn't for sanctification. It was for service, and that was the theology that he introduced to them. They promptly locked him out of Azusa Street. Parham and Seymour both eliminate him from uh, the process, but out of his teaching and preaching was formulated the doctrine that established the Assemblies of God in 1914, and that's why you have Church of God saying, saved, sanctified, filled, and you have Assemblies of God saying, saved and sanctified and filled. Now, all that was just for free. 
But not everybody thinks the same way about what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. And there's been a huge confusion as to what the Holy Spirit accomplishes. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Well, if you're already saved and sanctified like Durham taught, then you you don't need a second subsequent work to experience sanctification. So what was it that God gave? If you're already saved and sanctified and the progressive work of Christ is able to work in you because of the entrance of the Holy Ghost, then what was this other for? It was for service. It was for supernatural signs and wonders. Because after you're saved and sanctified, you continue that process of growth by faith. But then... Everybody in the New Covenant in the book of Acts was told that, hey, there's something else. And if they had received the Lord as their Savior and they were saved and sanctified and the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them, then the disciples came along, laid hands on them, and all of a sudden the power of God would fall on them. And everybody then that was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. It happened in Acts chapter 2. It happened in Acts chapter 8, implied. It happened in chapter 9 to Paul, implied. In chapter 10, it's clearly stated that those that were not only just saved, they were again, after a period of time, filled. They spoke with tongues, and what's the reason for that? Well, tongues is part of the wonderful benefits of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's not about salvation. It's about having a language that allows you to talk to God perfectly, even though you have no clue as to what you're saying. You want to pray a perfect prayer of faith? Pray in tongues. You don't know what you're saying. But when you speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit is giving you the utterance. He knows exactly what you need to say. The issue isn't that the devil doesn't know what you're saying. I think the devil knows exactly what you're saying when you're speaking in tongues. But when you're speaking in tongues, you are praying a prayer of faith, and you're praying in the will of God. And whatever you're asking God for, somebody ought to just start praying in tongues right now. Whatever you're asking God for, if you ask in faith, believing, you'll have what you receive. There's a power in the prayer language we receive at the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have stopped praying in tongues. Some of you haven't prayed in tongues since you got baptized with the Holy Spirit. You got baptized with the Holy Spirit and you said, oh, that's it. That's, I just, now I can be a Pentecostal. Well, that's not a Pentecostal. That's the entrance, just like salvation is the entrance experience. There has to be a reason why God baptized you with the Holy Ghost. And it's not just so you could belong to a denomination that says they're Pentecostal. And it's not so that you could say, I have an experience and now I'm better than you guys that don't have this experience. And we've done that too. Well, God can't use you and God doesn't work in you and God, ah! You look at men like Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, prince of preachers, 
He's never been baptized with the Holy Ghost, but one thing you'll find about his ministry, if you listen to him and, and, and in the sense of looking at his writings, he believed that he couldn't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God is looking for somebody that will operate in faith. Billy Graham did not look to be a Pentecostal, but yet God used him around the world to see people saved. Now, how do you explain that? When you look to his writings and his explanation of while God moved, it was because he was a man of faith. I tell you that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is received by faith, but then the actions that have to follow us are the signs, miracles, wonders, the supernatural aspects of this gift are only encountered by those who believe they're supposed to be going on. Not that you earn them. Not that you deserve them. The baptism with the Holy Spirit was given to the church so that we could spread the gospel. So that signs, miracles, and wonders could bear witness to the veracity of Jesus Christ. It's not all about being assemblies of God or church of God or wearing a badge or, well, I've had this experience and now I'm better than you. Come on. Wake up. If you have something that God has given you, it's time to use it for what the purpose was really. And it's not just being a part of something that you can brag about being a part of or you're just about part. We had the same thing with the message of the cross, brethren. People, well, we preach the message of the cross. We preach the message of the cross. You're a dog because you don't. That's not God. That's not God's spirit. That's not how God works. I'm going to preach the message of the cross to people until I die or until Jesus comes. But I'm not going to look at myself as better and smarter. I just know what the gospel is and I want everybody to have it. And I will go to any church anywhere that will invite me and tell them what I know about the gospel. Not because I'm better than them, but because I want them to have what Jesus died to provide. I'm not going to let truth elevate me and make it all about me and make it all about who I belong to and what church I am. It's not about SBN. It's not about Faith Worship Center. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So this power that was made available for the early church, you can see it at work. Peter at the gate beautiful, sees a lame man and says, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have. Do you have what Peter had? Do you have what Peter had? Do you have what Peter had? If you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost, you have what Peter had. You know what Jesus told his disciples the night before he left? He said, the works that I do, you shall do also. How are you doing on those? How's that happening? Are you believing that that's really what God wants? Did you realize as a Pentecostal that the baptism with the Holy Spirit has the potential to have that 
work through you? Do you believe that? Are you asking God for that? Are you saying, Lord, I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've had the experience, so now I'm a candidate for the gifts, for signs, for miracles, for wonders. God's just looking for somebody that will believe that what Jesus did at Calvary qualifies us for the power of service that will change this world and turn the world upside down. Peter heals the man through the name of Jesus outside the gate beautiful. The man runs in and everybody knows him. They've been watching him beg forever. He's been sitting outside the temple forever. And he runs through leaping and yelling and screaming and jumping and saying, Amen, praise God, praise Jesus. And then he starts hanging on to the apostles. Peter says, Whoa, not me, dude. It wasn't me. It wasn't my holiness or my power, but it was his name and faith in his name. Are you believing that his name is sufficient to heal the sick? Do you believe that his name is sufficient to bring about? Do you believe? See, faith is how you got baptized. If you're going to get the second subsequent work, you got to receive it by faith. You got to receive it by faith. When you, we pray for people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will start moving down here in the innermost being of you, and He'll start giving you utterance to speak. But if you don't speak it, if you don't by faith speak what He gives you, then you're not going to come through to the power of the baptism. But if you by faith say, oh, that's what that is, and you yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit's utterance, then by faith you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But everything you receive by faith, listen, here's where I'm going. This is what I came to say. Everything you receive by faith operates by faith. It doesn't just operate because you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. You came down here and spoke in tongues for 30 minutes and you felt the power of God and you sensed it and it was real and it was right and it was honest and it was true. And now you just went home and put a little badge on your shoulder said, I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost like everybody else. That's not what it's for. You receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit by faith and then you activate that ministry by faith. Jesus, I believe you said greater works than these. Jesus, you, your word says that believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And then like Peter, when it happens, you got to be prepared. Listen, you got to be ready. Listen, you got to be prepared not to try to steal the glory from God and give it to you. Oh, I'm preaching better than there. Amen. And pastor. Because part of the reason God can't use us is we don't want signs, miracles, and wonders so that we can glorify Christ and prove to the world that he's alive. We want signs, miracles, and wonders to show how wonderful we are. Oh, I'm preaching better than you. Amen. We got to fix that, folk. Signs, miracles, and wonders are signals. You know what signs are? They point away from the actual event to something else. The sign on the road isn't stop here, it's go there. The sign on the road says watch out for falling rock. You don't just stare at the sign. The sign points you to something. 
Watch out for falling rock. The sign, miracle, and wonder that happens as a result of the supernatural power of the gospel points to the truth that Jesus is alive and that Jesus will save. So signs, miracles, and wonders aren't here to promote us. They're here to promote Him. That's the purpose of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Not so we can be a part of the Pentecostal holiness or Pentecostal church or Pentecostal. Not so we can claim that we're better than Baptists and better than Methodists and better than, and we're better than this. That's not, that's not God. So take your Pentecostal pride. I I can't say what I really want to say. And lose it. Deposit it somewhere where no one will ever see it again. Amen, Brother Lars. Preach on, Brother Lars. I'm confident that the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is given to us to carry out the function of promoting Jesus Christ around the world. It begins with an experience of faith that causes the Holy Spirit to endue me with power so that I can carry out this work for Him. So the initial physical experience opens the door for the gifts of the Spirit, signs, miracles, and wonders, the supernatural, all of this that's supposed to point to Jesus. Remember in Acts chapter 4 when the people of the early church heard about John and Peter, how they had been set free from the religious leaders after they were persecuted, and they began to pray, and they said, Oh, Lord. We're praying that you would fill us with boldness to speak your word and that signs and miracles and wonders might be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. That's how they prayed because that's what they knew was the reason for the experience. It was the reason for the power. And their faith in the reason for the power and the knowledge of what supplied them with the power was why God used the early church. So you and I not only need to understand that the ministry of the Holy Spirit at salvation is accepted by faith and activated by faith, we need to also understand what Paul said in in Galatians 3 and 5. Look at this again. He said, He therefore that supplies to you the Spirit and works miracles among you. Does he do it because of what you do or because of what you believe. Do you see it? Do you see it? What we believe and what our faith is in must be in Christ and what he did for us at Calvary to supply us with salvation and sanctification. To receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Our faith needs to be in who Christ is and what Christ has done and the purpose for the power. Not to elevate me, but so that my life, my person, my efforts in sharing the gospel and praying for the sick and 
doing what I do, whether I'm a preacher or a mom or a school teacher or a lawyer or a farmer or a rancher, whether I drive a truck or ride a horse, Lord, I need your power to live and I need your supernatural power to flow through me so that I might present accurately and powerfully the truth of Jesus to the world in which I live. These are the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Experienced because of proper faith. And then after experience, they're activated by proper faith. And proper faith is always in Christ. And what Christ did for us to make the Holy Spirit available in all of his aspects. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Come on, Jim. We are in your praise. Fill us with your power. Live inside of me. Would you stand with me tonight? We want to welcome the Holy Spirit tonight. We want to welcome him in the process of sanctification. Some of us are desperate for something in us to be changed. And you don't have to leave here tonight because everybody and anybody can be freed from everything and anything by the power of the Holy Spirit. All God is asking you tonight is do you believe that I died to provide you with that? Do you believe that my death on Calvary is sufficient for that? Some of you have been seeking after the baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. If you're a born-again believer, it's for you. But it's not so that you could point to yourself. It's so that you could, by the power of the supernatural, point to Jesus That's what we got to want. That's what I want my life to be. A conduit of the Holy Spirit. I need to be changed by Him. I need to be empowered by Him. Your cord, whatever you want. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Come on, welcome Him tonight. We
pray together for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall and rest upon each of us, upon all of us, whether you're looking for power for change or power for service, I want you to come. You're telling God you want something that He's got. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus died to provide you with it. Come on down to these altars and begin to seek Him. He's ready. He's ready to provide what He died to give you. If you'll ask Him for it, believe Him for it tonight. Come on. Come on, let God fill you tonight. Let God touch you tonight. Let Him baptize you with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Let the ministry of the Holy Spirit change you into what God wants you to become. Come on. audience you haven't prayed in tongues for a month of Sundays right now the power of the Holy Ghost is moving in your innermost being you don't have to make a show of it but inside of you you need to let him flow you let him need to let him begin to speak through you you need to let him bring life into your being like never before you need to release by faith that utterance that he's been giving you and no longer hold it out and hold it back you need to believe that God wants this for you. You need to believe that God has this for you. You need to believe that God is going to flow to all those who desire Him in faith. Believe that what Jesus did for you at Calvary is sufficient to supply you with what you've got to have. Tonight in Jesus' name. Tonight in Jesus' name.
If you are blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.